The Word of God comes to us today from Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. You'll find it there in your worship folder. It is a great privilege for us to hear the Word of God among us. May we deeply appreciate it, and may we be blessed in the reading of His Word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, where he dismissed the crowd. And while he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. It's a privilege for me to introduce uh, Paul Tripp, who's going to deliver today's message. Um, and uh, he comes with uh, a great heart for the gospel. Um, the gospel is applied to many subjects, and uh, you'll see the conference materials that are available there, and uh, you should go and check those out. And they are uh, offered this morning as just a kind of a special discount for us, and you might want to look into that. But um, we... Uh, we as a, as a ministry have been blessed to be lifted up in our marriages and to have uh, Paul speak into our lives from God's Word. About 10 years ago, or a little bit more, from about 1998 to 2000, I should confess that I, I was really a conf, uh, confused and somewhat discouraged uh, pastor. It had to do with a lot of my interactions with, uh, with leadership at, the, at that time. And uh, I felt that we were not on board with what the gospel is by just a very basic, what is it? What does it look like? How do people change? The basic stuff a church should be about and leadership should have the same idea about. And I bumped into a Christian Counseling and Education Foundation out of Pennsylvania. And I began to read their articles and their journals and uh, my heart was lifted. Uh, I was refreshed. And the writings of Paul Tripp have uh, greatly impacted me personally, and I am in debt to God for that. Uh, Paul and Luella, when you fly out Wednesday night, uh, you're going to fly out pretty late at night, and you're going to look down. I hope you have maybe a window seat, and you'll see um, a few lights that are on this uh, island called Oahu, and then it will get real dark pretty quick. Uh, remember us as you look down. Uh, we are so thankful that you're here. We love you. Come give us God's word. Well, it has been uh, wonderful to be with you. Can you yeah, there you go. Um, it's uh, not easy to claim that you're a suffering servant of the Lord and you're speaking in Hawaii. Uh, we had the first measurable snowfall yesterday, I guess it was, in Philadelphia, which uh, we were not there for. God is good. So... Uh, Keep inviting us, particularly during the winter. Uh, that's you ministering to us. Well, if you're uh, 
God's child, if you've been saved by His grace, if you're indwelt by His Spirit, hear what I'm about to say, you have not just been chosen to be a recipient of the work of His kingdom, you have been chosen to be a participant in the work of His kingdom. Now, how is it that God crafts us? How does He prepare us? How does He mold us for that ministry? That's what I want to consider with you from this incredible little passage of Scripture. Before I do that, I want to say something that doesn't seem like it's on the same topic, but it will uh, later on. Here it is. I want to make a distinction for you. There is a significant significant, yes, even profound difference between amazement and faith. There's significant, even profound difference between amazement and faith. Uh, We live in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. We live about an hour and 15 minutes from the shore. And families uh, growing up in Philadelphia have this habit every summer to go down the shore for vacation. That's how we say it. We don't say down to the shore. I don't know why that. Everybody goes down the shore. And we would go for a week or so with our children to uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, which is a very family-oriented place uh, to pick medical waste off the beach. (laughs) Our kids thought hypodermic needles were shells. Funny little fish in those. Um... And our children would beg us to go down to Wildwood, New Jersey, uh, where there are huge piers, and on those piers are amusement parks. And one particular amusement park has the most amazing ride I've ever seen. I guess you would call it a ride. It's a big metal girder with big elastic straps hanging from it, a pouch at the bottom, it looks like the universe's biggest slingshot, and some otherwise rational human being will pay $7 to have themselves strapped in that pouch, and they will pull them back and launch them back and forth over the Atlantic Ocean at night. The first time I saw that thing, I was like this. My family wandered off to ride rides, came back, I was still... Now, that ride amazes me. It's the kind of thing where you text somebody and say, I I rode this ride, I almost died. Yeah. It amazed me. But you will not strap Paul Tripp into that pouch and launch him over the ocean in the night. I'm amazed by it, but I will not put my faith in it. Now, let me give you the background of this Mark 6 passage and and then we'll launch into it. Jesus had collected this group of disciples, followers. And although they didn't fully realize it, his intention was not just that they could be first-hand witnesses to the glory of the work of the king, but they would become instruments of the work of the king. And so he was crafting them for this work. They didn't realize that they were in the 24-7 school of discipleship. 
And the way Jesus would work is he would introduce the disciples, expose them to some moment of human difficulty, and in the midst of that difficulty, he would reveal his glory. I love Mark because Mark is quick. The Gospel of Mark is quick, hard-hitting. It's shockingly honest. And there, there floats through Mark this gospel equation. I want to give it to you. It's divine power plus divine compassion equals everything you need. Suitable for your refrigerator in the morning. Divine power plus divine compassion equals everything you need. DP plus DC equals EYN. And put it on a little cart. Now we find the disciples again in one of those moments of difficulty. They are trying to get across the Sea of Galilee. They're facing an impossible headwind. They're facing angry seas. It's a situation that's way beyond their strength, way beyond their wisdom, way beyond their natural ability, obviously frustrating, potentially dangerous. And when you see the disciples in that situation, you should immediately ask the question, how did these men get themselves in this mess? Maybe they just acted foolishly. Maybe they were just a bit arrogant. Maybe it's just another bad disciple decision. But look, if you would, at what it says in the very first verse of our passage. Immediately, he, who's the he? Christ made his disciples get into the boat. Now, here's how to understand what's going on. The disciples are in this moment of difficulty. They're in this moment of futility because that's precisely where Jesus wants them to be. He told them to go across this sea. He was fully aware of what these disciples would be facing. There's nothing in this moment that's shocking to him. And when you read that, you ought to ask the question, why would a God of mercy, why would a Lord of grace, why would this Messiah one ever choose this kind of moment for one of his disciples? I thought he was tender. I thought he was merciful. I thought he was kind. I thought he was gracious. I thought this was the shepherd. Why? Why would he ever want his disciples to be in this kind of moment of difficulty? Can I say this? You've asked that question too. You've had moments where you say, where's God? I thought he loved me. Why would he ever, why would he ever lead me to this place? Maybe he's not in control. Maybe he's not faithful. Maybe he's not kind. What in the world is going on? Well, if you would read through Mark, the answer's there. Jesus knows how self-reliant these men can be. He knows how full of themselves these men can be. He knows how self-righteous these men can be. So hear what I'm about to say. So He will take them 
where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. Let me say that again. He will take them where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. I think there are moments when we're crying out, where is the grace of God? And we're getting it. But it's not the grace of release. And it's not the grace of relief. We get those in pieces, but largely those are coming. It's the grace of refinement because that's exactly the grace we need right now. I am deeply persuaded that we need to be more faithful in teaching and encouraging and in comforting one another, hear this term with the theology of uncomfortable grace. Because very often, the grace of God, right here, right now, comes to us in uncomfortable forms. It's not always a pillow. It's not always a cool drink of water. Because God knows exactly what you need. He's reforming you. He's not just content with forgiving you. He wants to radically transform you by His grace. And so He'll take you beyond your strength and beyond your wisdom, beyond the natural realm of your gifts, so that you would find your hope and strength in Him and Him alone. And as you're there, now you're there ready to, to uh, teach other people how to find their hope in Him as well. Now look what happens next. Because the details here are very important. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now think about this for a moment. If you, if you get the time clues, uh, in the larger passage, the disciples had probably been rowing across this not real big sea for eight hours. Now imagine. Imagine the exhaustion. Imagine the futility. Imagine the concern. And so Jesus, seeing that they were in this difficulty gets up, yes, you read it right, and walks across this angry sea, walks into this headwind. This is the Lord Creator who is able to do with His creation whatever He chooses. This is a God of awesome glory. But hear this. You've got to face this fact. If all Jesus wanted to do was relieve the difficulty, he wouldn't have had to take the walk. If all Jesus wanted to do 
was relieve the difficulty, he wouldn't have had to take the walk. All he would have had to do is safe from the shore, peace be still, the winds would have died, the sea would have come calm, and the boys would have rolled their way across the sea. The minute he gets up and takes the walk, you begin to understand he's not so much working on the situation, but he is dramatically planning to work on the people who are in the middle of the situation. That's what he's after. And so rather than quickly removing the difficulty, Jesus actually enters the difficulty with his disciples. He's there with them. And the Bible says, words are very clear here, that he meant to pass by them. Now, don't misunderstand what's being said here. It's not that Jesus needed a GPS. He sort of forgot where the boat was. He's wandering around the sea. Uh, It means that Jesus wanted to take a big enough arc around that boat so that every one of the men in the boat would see him there. He wanted them to get something very, very significant, something that has the power to transform the way you think about you, the way you think about your life, the way you live every day. It's great. Now, when the disciples see Jesus, how do they respond? It's very interesting. They're not heartened at all. They're not encouraged at all. They're terrified. They're sitting in this boat, and they seem utterly unprepared for what Jesus is doing. They've seen him raise a little girl from the dead. They were in a boat with him already where he calmed the sea. They watched him feed a huge crowd with a little boy's lunch. Why are they unprepared for this moment? But they are. They're terrified. The only sense they can make out of the moment is that they must be seeing a ghost. And rather than yell at them and say, how can you be so unprepared? Jesus does something beautiful. He says these beautiful words. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. The the English translation doesn't capture fully what Jesus is doing. Jesus in this moment is taking one of the names of God. He's saying, don't you understand? I am is with you. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, the one on whom all of the covenant promises rest The I am is with you. It's never you and your circumstances. It's never you and your wisdom. It's never you and your strength because the I am has invaded your life by his grace. You're never alone. You're never left to himself. The I am is here. The I am is here. The I am is here. You face that sickness you never thought you'd face and you say to yourself, the I am is with me. I'm not alone in this moment that career disappointment. The I am is with me. It's impossible for me to be alone in this moment. The marital difficulty. The I am is with me. It's not just me and my circumstances. Jesus is saying, don't you get it? 
Don't you get what's going on here? It's never just you and whatever moment you're in because the I Am has come in all of His power and all of His glory and all of His wisdom and all of His grace. It's not the same anymore. The I Am is with you. Well, look back at the passage. He gets in the boat and the wind ceases. And then it says this, they were utterly astounded. I sort of prefer the word that's used in the NIV, amazed. They're utterly amazed. Now, I don't know how you've read this passage before, but that's not a compliment. Because Mark makes an editorial comment. He says, uh, and they were utterly amazed for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Amazement means I've been taken beyond any categories I have to understand or explain something. These guys should not have actually been amazed at this moment. Mark is arguing that they should have been prepared for exactly the display of glory that they were getting. But what they do is, because they're unprepared, they experience the same old fear all over again. And their spiritual life, like ours, is just this cycle of fear again. So we go through good moments, we hit hardship, and we go through the same doubts and the same fears all over again. You see, amazement is something you do with your brain. Faith is an investment of the heart that changes the way you live your life. You can be amazed at the theology of Scripture and not be living by faith. You can be amazed by the grand redemptive story and not be living by faith. You can be amazed at the helpful preaching that you hear every Sunday and not be living by faith. You can be amazed at the great hymns of the church and not be living by faith. You can be amazed by the love of the body of Christ and not be living by faith. There is a clear difference between amazement and faith. Now, notice what it says. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Here's what Jesus is saying. The, the did not understand about the loaves is just a specific way of talking about a general reality. He's talking about the feeding of the 5,000. And when he says they did not understand about the loaves, he's saying these disciples hadn't learned their lessons. They hadn't understood this message that Christ was displaying before them. He was revealing his glory to them. So they begin to conclude it's not just about us. It's not just about our strength. It's not just about our ability to understand and control the circumstances because this God of great glory is now with us. And then it says, because their hearts were hardened. You see, what's the picture there? The picture is of a stony heart. Pretend with me that I had a rock in my hand right now. And I would squeeze it with all my might. 
all the power that Paul Tripp has, what would you expect to have happen? It's a pretty simple rhetorical question. Nothing. Because that rock is resistant to change. The Bible talks, Hebrews 3, 12, and 13, about a believer having a hard heart. That I'm resistant to change. And I'm resistant to change because I'm satisfied with who I am and where I am. You see that in disciples. I mean, in, in, in incredible moments when Christ is revealing the plan of redemption to them, they're more concerned about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. They're not re- saying, we're the ones that need this redemption. They're just saying, look, will we be dukes? Princes? Which of us gets to be at your right hand? That's why God would take them where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. That's grace. That's grace. Praise God that we serve a dissatisfied Redeemer who will not relent till every microbe of sin is delivered from every cell of every heart of every one of his children. Praise God for that unrelenting redemptive zeal. Praise God that the one that you serve wants more for you than you want for yourself. That's grace. But they hadn't learned their lessons. And their hearts were hard. So this new, new moment of difficulty comes. And they go through the same old fear again. Luella and I gave birth. Well, she gave birth. I just watched. Uh, to a son who didn't understand the concept of gifts. It drove me crazy. We would buy him a gift for a birthday or Christmas, some kind of toy. He would tear open the box, discard the toy, and play with the box. We actually thought at times we should just get him empty boxes. It'd be a lot cheaper, safe shopping. But I wouldn't give up, and so we went one Christmas on a quest to find the quintessential Justin gift, a gift that we knew he would be attracted to and play with. We found that gift. We probably shopped way longer than we should. And when it came to the time at Christmas for him to open that gift, we were surely more excited than he would have ever been. He tore open the box as a little boy would, not thinking of recycling, and pulled out this toy and actually began to play with it. I had such a feeling of parental accomplishment. I I left the living room, went into the kitchen uh, to get something to drink and was engaged in a conversation with another one of my family members. And after a few minutes, I I went back into the living room and he was sitting in the box. Now, maybe you're wondering... 
why is this man telling us this cute family story? Well, here it is. You have been given the most gorgeous gift that you could be given. It's a gift that's stunningly beautiful from every vista. It's the essential gift of gifts. It's the one gift that every human being who has ever taken breath desperately needs, whether he knows it or not. It's a gift that you could never achieve. You could never earn. You could never deserve. It's the only gift that has the power to radically change you and everything about you. It is the gift of gifts. It's the gift of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm afraid in the face of being given that gift, often we are content to play with the box. We're content with a little theological knowledge. We're content with a little bit of biblical literacy. We're content with episodic moments of ministry. We're content with putting a little money in the plate. Nothing's wrong with any of those things. But we're not saying, I adore the fact that I've been given this gift of grace. I have such a deep sense of privilege that I would be chosen out of the mass of humanity to receive this gift. And I'm going to hold on to this gift with both hands. I'm not going to let go of it. I want to be with people who promote this gift. I want to learn more about this gift. I want to be with those who celebrate this gift. I want this gift to rearrange me in the way that it has the power to. I'm not letting go of this gift gift of grace until it's done everything it was intended to do to me. The stunning reality of my existence is I've been given the gift of grace. I would ask you this morning, are you holding on to that gift with both hands? Celebrating your privilege and celebrating what it can do? Or are you content to play with the box? If you sit here this morning and you say, Paul, I think I'm a box player, hear what I'm about to say. You don't need to wallow in shame. You don't need to hide in guilt. You don't need to cowl in fear of God because Jesus lived on your behalf a perfect life. He died an acceptable death. He imparted to you His righteousness so you can run into the arms, the presence of a holy God and be utterly unafraid Jesus took your rejection so you will never see the back of God's head. And you can say once again, God, I see it once again. I'm all too easily satisfied. I'm all too satisfied with a little bit of what you have to offer. I don't esteem your gift of grace in the way that I should. 
but I'm so thankful I don't have to run from you. I don't, I'm so thankful I don't have to fear you. I'm running to your presence and saying, oh, won't you forgive me and won't you change me by your grace? May God help us to confess those places where our problem is not that we're demanding too much of our Redeemer, but where we would settle for too little. And in our confession, celebrate that grace not by running from Him, but by running to Him, receiving mercy and grace in our time of need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this provocative little moment in your life with the disciples. Thank you for how it pictures the way you move into our lives, the way you craft us for your work, the way you transform us by your grace. I would make that confession that I'm often too easily satisfied. There are moments when I don't esteem the gift of your grace. And so right now I would run toward you seeking the forgiveness that you have to offer and crying out for the deliverance that only comes from your hand. Thank you that we needn't run from you anymore, that Jesus took our shame, he bore our guilt, he satisfied your anger. We stand in front of you fully accepted. Thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.